As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Total Soccer Show and our latest batch of listener questions. Today, we're looking at which coaches would pick themselves for their own teams, whether France will clear the World Cup group stage and the roster construction at St. Louis, and much, 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 much more. My name is Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, we have a man who wasn't sure whether I was coming on today's show, so he drew up an alternate slate of listener questions today. Taylor Rockwell, you put together an alternate slate of questions. You're trying to decertify the listener questions process. This is our stop the steal, isn't it? What, What are you doing? I mean, yeah, first of all, this is me attempting to take up the Lister Questions document, except it's not because uh, mine were all serious. I feel like I chose just serious questions, Ryan. Yours is much more fun. <laughs> I like it when you pick the questions. Uh, let's keep that going. Oh, thank you, Tay-Tay. Uh, or is that us. what I would say if I were trying to lead the coup from within quietly? You don't know. You don't know. Knives are out, listener. Knives are out. <laughs> we shall see where this goes. Uh, joining us, Taylor, a man who is maybe being burned as an effigy. Joe Larry, what did you do? Oh. Um, I think I said something at some point about Austin, and, and at that point, me and a couple other folks were burned as effigies. Now, apparently that didn't really happen, according to a source of mine that has a source in Austin. I think that's how journalism works. That's exactly how we're supposed to attribute those things. Um, uh-huh. But either way, the MLS playoffs are breathing right down our necks at this point, and Austin should be ready, it seems like, given the crowd they pulled out for whatever that event was last night, that they are pretty darn ready. Yeah, no um, effigies burning in Charlotte for whatever you said about them for the past season, by the way, Joe. Just so you know. Shocker. They're still trying to scrub those Panthers lines off the field to get ready. So. <laughs> Very good. Also, They're trying to scrub the lines off the field, and then David Tepper is just trying to scrub the actual Carolina Panthers off the field. <laughs> they just That's fired cool. their head coach the other day. Ryan, I don't know if you saw that. So hopefully better times ahead for your Panthers, right? Sure. Yeah, everything's going great. <laughs> everything's going wonderful uh, in Charlotte right now. Uh, joining us, gents, a man who doesn't want me to sing Sweet Caroline at our upcoming live show in Brooklyn. Graham Rutherford, is this true? I mean, that is always true. Live show or not, I never want you to sing Sweet Caroline. But I think you are referencing a tweet that I might have tagged you in, which um, depicted someone singing Sweet Caroline at the, the famous Cavern Club in, in Liverpool. And then it is unclear whether this person is known to the performer or whether it is just a punter from the crowd comes up and kind of 
whisks his legs away from out underneath him, and it's it's quite a it's quite a violent act. I don't think I would be that violent, Ryan. But um, yeah, let's just see what happens if 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 you uh, start singing "Sweet Caroline" in Brooklyn on November twentieth. We shall see. Graham, did you just drop a Scottish word on us? What his legs? Weeks. Wheat his legs out. Wheat. Wheat. Like kind of Wheat. just wheat. You know, like the noise, like wheat. Oh right, You've it been was like here. Okay, I indeed. See. Yeah, very good. <laughs> Nicely done. Um, live show, by the way, listener, uh, Littlefield of Brooklyn, uh, November twentieth, the opening day of the World Cup. I probably won't be swept down dramatically while holding a guitar, but much, much fun will be had. Uh, link in the description if you'd like to join us and have some fun in Brooklyn with us on November twentieth. By the way, a listener question came in from Galen Morley, who says, "Can we get a Brooklyn Manhattan pickup game going?" On the Sunday, the day of the live show, um, several folks would love to play with the TSS guys. Uh, so what do we feel about that? We've got we've got a, a four aside. We could get a, a keeper from somewhere. What mm-hmm. do you think, Graham? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know about playing on the Sunday before the show because that feels like a recipe for having the show cancelled because one of us is at the hospital. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'd very much like to get a pickup going at, at some point over the course of the World Cup. So if anyone has recommendations of, of pitches in Brooklyn or Manhattan we could hire for an hour or two. Tweet us, let, let's get this thing going. Yeah, yeah. If, if any of us get weaked during the game, that, that could have some pretty <laughs> serious repercussions for later on that day. <laughs> let's uh, get these listener questions started before we get weaked <laughs> off the air, shall we, gents? Uh, Robert Cordova has been in touch. Will the World Cup holders, France, fail to get out of the group stages like the past three World Cup holders, Italy, Spain, and Germany. That's a crazy stat, one it's worth reminding ourselves of. Uh, Taylor, what do you think about this? Uh, France, we, we know that Kylian Mbappé is a bit unhappy domestically. They've had one win in their last six games. Uh, but then you look at the group they're in, Australia, Denmark, and yeah. Tunisia. You'd hope they would clear that, wouldn't you? Yeah, uh, you would. And I thought when I first read this question, like, yeah, no, they'll be fine. It's France. They're very good. Uh, but there is more reason for this question than I would have expected. Uh, and I think, Ryan, though, you, you've hit the nail on the head there. I think their group allows them to make it out. I think the relative weakness of that group will be enough for them to get through. But there are plenty of negatives. You mentioned a few there, but N'Golo Kante is still out. Uh, he had another setback in training uh, with his hamstring. So he, they're not quite sure when he will return uh, for Chelsea and for France. He's been out since late August. Paul Pogba is obviously still out. His relationship with Mbappe is odd, and I will leave it there because fire truck of lawyers. <laughs> Mbappe is Mbappe this week and always, uh, which can be good and can be bad. But then, as you said, Ryan, their recent form, third in their Nations League group, one win, two draws, three losses. And I think very telling in those games was the number of formations they tried and how they would, like, I think they got uh, in one of their wins, or their only win, they went with a 3-4-1-2, and then they went with it again, and they lost to Denmark 2-0. So they thought it worked, and then it did not, but they've gone with a 4-4-2, they've gone with a 4-2-3-1, and I think a lot of it has to do with just how much talent they do actually have which is obviously very good. You want talent. You need depth. But at the same time, you need to be able to build a core squad that knows how to play together, and then you can bring in uh, individuals when they're finding form or if somebody's injured. But just looking at their depth for a moment, at center back, you've got Saliba, you've got Con- uh, Konate, Upamakano, Kimpembe, uh, Bariashile, Varan, Kunde. Uh, you've got plenty of center forwards. You've got tons of attackers. You've got a number of central midfielders. And I think finding the balance has been really difficult for them. 
But then you look at that group. Denmark did finish above them in the Nations League, uh, but that was with France having multiple injuries and some of the kind of uncertainty. But even if Denmark were able to finish top of this group, there's Australia, who played uh, France close in 2018, but I think they're weaker at this mm. point. Tunisia would be the X factor. I genuinely don't really know anything about Tunisia right now. We will... Uh, amend that when we do our World Cup previews in the near future. But for now, I would say I would expect France to be able to get past Tunisia and Australia. So they will end up making it out, but I'm not sure how convincing they will be. Yeah, I would, I would go along with that. I think in a slightly tougher group, I think it's entirely feasible that, that France don't get out of this, this group. But even though I think at this point, Denmark might actually be stronger than France. They beat them home and away in the Nations League. Of course, Denmark made the semifinals of the Euros. So for going over the last two years of, of ed- evidence, Denmark, there's there's a strong case that they are a better team at this point, despite the yeah. fact that France have more individual talent. Denmark are very, very good at the moment. They won nine out of their 10 World Cup qualifiers as well. Um, but Australia, I've watched Australia a few times. And um, look, the World Cup always has capacity for teams to, to improve and kind of spring a surprise. <laughs> but I, I don't think they're up to much at all. So they needed the inter- intercontinental playoff to qualify. And uh, this Australian team is a lot less talented than, than previous Australian teams. And in Tunisia, Chine- Chine- uh, they um, we watched them at AFCON earlier in the year when they went out in the quarterfinals to Burkina Faso and I didn't think they were really up to much in, in that tournament. They were thumped 5-1 by Brazil recently, which, you know, I guess that can happen. They did beat Japan and Chile in friendlies recently. So, um, you know, maybe maybe they, that Brazil game wasn't a true read of their ability, but they're not a team with a great deal of talent. So while it feels like France's implosion has, has started early with the, the Mbappe episode and all the Pogba stuff, um, I think they would need to be desperately poor not to get out of this group. Yeah, and that, oh, that, that Japan friendly is a really interesting one, Graham, because I looked at some other groups, right? Because I, I totally agree that France should have enough quality to get out of this group. It seems like there's a pretty clear divide between France and Denmark and then between uh, th- those two teams and Australia and Tunisia. There's like a, a big divide between those two groups of teams. So then I, I was looking around at other groups where I thought a good team could get bounced in the group stage, not just uh, Brazil and their group, but I was looking at some other ones, and one that came to mind was Group E, right? You mentioned Japan, and I know they lost that game to Tunisia, but we just saw a couple of weeks ago how good Japan can be, right? And that wasn't even, as you mentioned in our U.S. review show, Graham, that wasn't even Japan's top team that beat the U.S. and, and, mm-hmm. and handled them pretty easily. Group E is one group that I would have my eye on as an upset, and we'll talk more about this as the tournament gets closer, but Spain, Germany, Japan, and Costa Rica, any of those teams could get out. Costa Rica is by far the weakest team in that group, and I would be surprised if they made it out. But it's happened before, right? We've seen this stuff happen before. Having Japan upset either Spain or Germany and sneak into the first or second spot in that group feels entirely doable to me. And then Group F is the other one. I remember this when, I believe it was April Fool's Day, that the, the, the groups came out for the most part. And we did the, the live show for Bleacher Report, Belgium, Croatia, Morocco, and Canada. All four of those teams, I think, are are very good. I would not be surprised if Morocco or Canada, who I think are the teams that most folks would say, okay, they're, they're not the top couple in that group. They're not the European teams. Morocco, we know, is quality. We've seen that up close against the U.S. in bits and pieces, although they weren't great in that game, and certainly at AFCON. And then Canada, I think, are brilliant. I think they, are, they have, like we talked about with Nashville yesterday, Graham, they have almost this recipe for knockout soccer of being compact. And yeah, they've struggled a bit recently, but still... They have match-winning talent and a really good tactical recipe. Groups F and Group E are the two that I would really have my eye on for a, a major upset, maybe more so than France's group. All right. And uh, Joe, of course, an expert in predictions, as proved by FG. Naturally. Whatnot. 
Yeah, Naturally. very good. Yep. Wonderful stuff. Thank you, Robert, for that question. Let's move on to Christopher Decker's question. A recent Athletic article explored Gareth Southgate's, Gareth Southgate's omission of Trent Alexander-Arnold, Jared Bowen, Kakao Tomori, and James Ward-Prowse. As a rough talent tier, would any of these players start for the U.S. men's national team? And a part B of this question, would any Americans start for England? Uh, Joe, why don't we tackle the first part of that question, where any of these players start for the U.S. MNT? Um, my mind went to a player who's not listed in Christopher's question, but someone like Ivan Tony. U.S. would love him, wouldn't they? Yeah, I mean, playing someone up top that just doesn't fit into England's squad, I think, would be extremely useful for the U.S. That could be a, a number of different players. But Ivan Tony, I think, is a, a brilliant attacker, and, and he would do a lot of good things for the U.S. Ryan, that's a great shout. Of, of the players that were listed here by Christopher, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Tamori, I think, would start no questions asked for the U.S. Yeah, you have to display Sergio Dest at the right-back spot. But Dest's whole thing is that he doesn't defend all that well, and so you're not really losing a ton on the defensive end, and Alexander-Arnold is, or has been, maybe not as much this season, is a world-class playmaker. And Sergio Dest is is not that at the moment. So Alexander-Arnold fits in this team, no-brainer for me, and Tomori as well. Yeah, he's made his mistakes. I think he's been burned before earlier this season, but the U.S. doesn't have center backs right now that they can afford to be picky. And I think Tomori has the pedigree that really no other U.S. center back has right now. The other two, Jared Bowen and James Ward-Prowse, are a little more difficult for me to decide. I think I landed on them both being bench options for the U.S. So Bowen's mostly playing as a winger right now. The U.S. has wingers, right? They have a lot of depth, and and Bowen has scored more goals in the Premier League than a lot of the other U.S. attackers, and there's something to be said for that. But I don't know that he brings anything that is wholly unique to the pool that really makes me feel like he needs to start or he would need to start for the U.S. And James Ward-Prowse, I struggled with this, but I, I have a hard time imagining him unseating Weston McKennie or Yunus Musa. I have him as the first number eight off the bench after those two players. And I think that's where I'm landing on this group of four. Anybody else agree, disagree? This was hard for me. I don't mm. know. Yeah, so I had, um, I personally think, this, this is actually going to sound quite quite harsh on, on the US, but I think it's just the nature of the of, of England's talent pool and, and the options that they have. I think there is a good number of English bubble players that would start for the US. So I had I had Alexander-Arnold, despite the fact that Dest is, is one of the US's best players. I still think Alexander-Arnold is, is, is an upgrade on him. Tamori at centre-back, uh, Tony as well up front. I had uh, Tammy Abraham as well. I know he is traditionally sort of a, a penalty box poacher, but I, I, I think he's already game is is actually better than most people give him credit for so I think he could do some of the things that Berhalter wants his number nine to do so I had him as well I did have uh, Jared Bowen I understand what you're what you're saying Joe about kind of the profile of maybe him versus Timothy Weah but I I have to say I do think Bowen is is maybe at this point better than than Timothy Weah just on an individual talent basis and then Tim Weah doesn't start for the US though that's that's the problem well, who do you, who's who's the starting right sider then at the moment? I mean, I know Gio, Gio Reyna has started the the friendlies recently, but you know, are we counting on his his fitness? Reyna, sure. Reyna, when I when I flipped it to part B of the question to think of Americans that start for England, I don't think at this point there are any Americans that would start for England. But no. Gio Reyna and Eunice Musa were the two that they have the talent ceiling to be that good. Um, and and if it's Dortmund, Christian Pulisic as well. So, so, <laughs> I didn't even I didn't even clock that. Yeah, I guess so. Um, but if if it's like uh, Dortmund's Christian Pulisic as well, then I think he would be in with a shout too. But that player hasn't really been around for a while. But in terms of the the other side, yeah, I, th- I thought um, Jaden Sancho 
if he is a bubble player, it seems like he's on the fringes of that squad. I, I think maybe he he starts for. I know he's not been in the best form for Manchester United, but I just think his his, his ceiling, the talent of the ceiling of his talent is is so high that he would start. And then I think Aaron Ramsdale as a goalkeeper as well. If you're starting Matt Turner for the US at the World Cup, I think you would have to argue that the player who actually starts for his club team ahead of him would surely start for the US and Aaron Ramsdale his, his distribution out from the back is one of the best things about his game and we all know that Berhalter likes that and a goalkeeper so those were the, the players that I settled on Alright uh, Taylor any thoughts on this how about JWP as a free kick specialist for the US uh, My thoughts are that I hate this question uh, <laughs> and also I'd like to know how much the monarchy is paying Graham uh, but I think ultimately uh, <laughs> there there is a lot of truth here uh, because, yeah, I would have Trent Alexander-Arnold. Uh, the Tamori, as I was answering this question, got his red card against yeah. Chelsea uh, yesterday. And I thought, yeah, that feels right. Uh, so Tamori, yeah, why not throw him in there? Because he has been good, but then also erratic. That feels like a U.S. center back. I would agree with Joe about James Ward-Prowse and Jared Bowen. But I would add uh, Tammy Abraham and Chris Smalling. I think Chris Smalling could probably start and do a very good job mm. for the United States. I'm not I, The only one I thought of going the other way is that maybe Tyler Adams could deputize for Calvin Phillips. Uh, because he's doing that for Leeds, so maybe he could do the, the same for England. And then I think Anthony Robinson is maybe in the squad or on that bubble, but certainly not starting for England. Southgate does love his fullbacks, that's for sure. He'll take Jedi, right? There you go. Yeah, see? There we go. Okay, now I feel better. Uh, but I, I, I do think there's a lot of, of depth and talent with England and a lot of quality that probably won't end up going uh, for justifiable reasons. And so I think if you look at the positions where the U.S. is weak, Graham, I think uh, some of the, those goalkeeper shouts also probably make a good bit of sense, too, given the relative vulnerability of that spot for the United States as well. Who's excited for the World Cup? It's going to be great. It's going to be great. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, Joe, any, uh, your, your, your part of the, the second part of the question, any Americans who start for England, did you, did you cover that? Nope. No U.S. players are starting for England. Not a chance. That's my opinion, at least. Cool. All Jordan right. Morris. <laughs> Jordan Morris in that England team. Let's go. This question also made me sad. I'm with yeah, Taylor. Yeah. I need a It does entertain me that Graham picked um, uh, Reina and Yunus Musa, who both, of course, are I mean, English if I wanted to... <laughs> Take it back. Take it back not, right now. I'm not, I'm not entertaining this. Uh, what I will say <laughs> is at, at least it's a sign maybe of where the program is going or, or has, or how far it's come that this is even a suggestion because I think years ago it would have been like, yeah, we'll take any England player. Sure. Whatever. We'll get him in there. And I think at least there are some spots where the U.S. has enough depth, enough talent that maybe they wouldn't need that so much. But it's, it's like, I mean, as much as I don't love to say it with Ryan on the air, like England is still one of the best national teams or national team pools in the world, theoretically. What was that? So was that again? It's, was that? Sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to acknowledge <laughs> that. Uh, but And so to me, it's like it, it would be different if we were having this conversation about, oh, man. See, now I start listing countries and then I'm like, no, nah, it's still probably the case. Like Croatia is probably still kind of the case. But I think it's, it's a sign that England is as good as they are, but that the United States has made at least some strides in its talent identification and development. Very England good. have never Christopher beaten Decker. the US at a World Cup, so and there you go. Will. And they never will. I could believe that stat continuing quite easily. Yes, indeed. Uh, Christopher, thank you for your question. We'll be back <laughs> with a few more after these short messages. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to Unlisten the Questions. Guy Yedwab has been in touch and asked, is Patrick Vieira at the level where he should be considered for Champions League level club vacancies? And if not, what does he need to do to accomplish that, uh, to earn that respect? Uh, where would he be a good fit? Graham, when I saw this question, I immediately thought of Vieira as the next Manchester City manager. It feels like, hmm. I don't know if he's among the contenders, but he feels like a natural fit there. He did, of course, he's worked in the system there in the youth levels. And where else would City go after Pep? So maybe, just maybe, he could be cons- considered there? Um, certainly there's that City Football Group link. Obviously, his first senior management job was uh, was at NYCFC. He, he had the the academy team manager's job. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if he was on a shortlist. In terms of his, his style of play, I don't think it's quite... There are differences, I think, between his style of play and Pep Guardiola's style of play. In terms of where City would look next, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I don't think they're going to have to do that for a number of years anyway. So they've got, they've got some time to come up with a shortlist. But in terms of the, the job that Vieira has done at Crystal Palace, I think he's done a good job. I, I wouldn't say at this point he's done a great job. So fini- uh, Palace finished 12th last season and they're 15th this season. The the big improvement, improvement has been in the style of play. So so Palace are, are much more entertaining to watch than they ever were under under Roy Hodgson, certainly. They have a core of exciting young players. They've pulled off some, some big results against big teams. But the next step for me has to be performing well and achieving results on a, on a more consistent basis because it, it's a team that still feels like it could take another step or two forward in terms of their development, in terms of the results and actually climbing into the top half. And I think that's what Vieira would need to do take Palace into the top half of the table at least for him to enter the discussion when when the big jobs come up that's the sort of overachievement that you need to attract the attention of Champions League level clubs it's what Potter did with uh, with Brighton I know Vieira has that that stature as a, as a great player so maybe that counts in his favour but it's, it, for me, it's, it is difficult to answer which team would be the best fit for Vieira tactically because he changes shapes and formations and even approaches from, from game to game at Palace. So there have been matches where they've pressed high and they've played with a high intensity and with the ball. And that's maybe where, Ryan, you're talking about the, the kind of city links. But then there, there have been other matches where they have been more conservative and absorbed pressure and, and, and played on, on the counter. He's used a 4-3-3. He's used a back three. So, so you'd probably be looking for a club in my opinion, that isn't wedded to a specific style of play or formation. So when I was thinking of clubs like that, I was thinking Real Madrid. It kind of always felt like Vieira would play for Real Madrid as a manager, and I actually had to go and check his Wikipedia page to make sure that he hadn't played for Real Madrid just for six months on loan, because, I don't know, there was always speculation about him going to Real Madrid, and it never happened. So I guess it would maybe feel right if he was a manager there one day. And then obviously he has that connection with uh, Inter and Juventus, and I think those two clubs who don't have, Juventus in particular, you know, Juventus's identity as a team is basically winning, which they're not doing a great deal of at the moment. But in terms of uh, how they play and their formation and their shape, they're, they're not really wedded to one thing. So Vieira, with his, with his connection there as a player and his 
his profile as a coach now, I think that might be a good fit. But he he needs to achieve a little bit more with Palace in terms of raw results, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Graham's done a great job of outlining it, including where he could go, because I think Madrid and the Milan uh, or Inter Milan and maybe Juve, depending on how this week goes, uh, are potential destinations. I hadn't really thought about Madrid, but you're right. There are a lot of boxes ticked there. I think for me, he does have to get uh, Palace like comfortably mid-table. I think also, at least right now, there is a prevailing narrative that his teams concede goals from winning positions. Um, they've conceded in the final five minutes 10 times since he took over. That's in 45 Premier League matches. They've dropped 10 points this season from winning positions. Uh, a lot of that, it seems, due to him making tactical changes, personnel changes, uh, changing the shape of the in-game, usually at the end, losing momentum, not really kind of taking it to the opponent, continuing to take it to the opponent. And I think you can't have those sort of major negative narratives about your your management around if you're looking for that next jump. It has to be like, oh, he got them comfortably mid-table. He knows how to do a squad overhaul, which they're in the middle of right now, going from one of the oldest teams to one of the youngest. So there's a lot of positives there for him, and I think if he keeps it going, that becomes much more of a conversation for now, though I think it's about sort of getting even more solid footing, at least in England, uh, getting Palace to the point where they are comfortably mid-table, and then you have more young players coming through, you have better players signing, they seem like they're a competent, cohesive unit that he has managed well, and now you have the kind of blueprint there for what he could do at a larger club where he already has that name recognition. So uh, that's where I am right now. Joe, when Vieira first came to Palace as manager, uh, I think in our preseason predictions that season, I said they finished bottom <laughs> yep. because of him, and I've been proven rather wrong. What are your thoughts on him? I think Patrick Vieira is a good coach. I think he needs more time at Palace before we should talk about Real Madrid or anywhere right in that Champions League level stratosphere. I think it, he, I think a couple of years or at least the rest of this season and, and maybe next would be helpful for him to continue to learn. But I mean, he's had some good success in a couple of different stops at this point. I think he was largely very good at NYCFC. Then he goes to Nice and Liga and spends two and a half seasons there. Finishes seventh the first season, which was one spot ahead of where they'd been the year before. Finishes fifth the season after that. Then gets fired after a Europa League group stage exit. But, I mean, such is soccer, right? That's how this stuff goes sometimes. Takes over Crystal Palace in July of 2021. And I, I thought largely did a really good job last year. I know they finished 12th, but, I mean, they were two places and four points ahead of where they were the previous year. And they did that while actually playing good soccer. Maybe not yep. the Crystal Palace soccer that we would think of from earlier on in, in you know the 2010s or whatever it is. I thought they were much better last year than the results indicated. This year's been a slog. They're bad this year, or at least they've been bad this year. They're 15th. The underlying numbers look significantly worse than last year. A lot of the shine is hiding. I don't want to say it's gone, but it is, it is deep in hiding at the moment. I'm hoping they find that because I enjoyed watching Crystal Palace last year. I en- I've enjoyed watching Patrick Vieira at every stop he's been at so far. So I'm hoping that we see them sort of balance out and maybe climb up that table because I do think Patrick Vieira could be a good manager. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. Maybe this is maybe this is just my interpretation, but it's weird to me that Vieira still kind of flies under the radar a little bit in the Premier League, given how good he was as a player. You know, it feels to me there's much more focus on what Gerard and Lampard are doing at their clubs as managers, and Vieira was uh, as good a player and as notable a player. You know, big a, a big name playing for a, a dominant team, certainly won more league titles than than Steven Gerrard ever did in his career. Yeah, it feels like, again, maybe this is just me, but it feels like there's less focus on what he's doing yeah. at Palace. I think because English is the answer to that question. Yeah, fair, that's yeah, that's my assumption, yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, I, I, I think there's probably a couple factors there, one of which I don't quite feel qualified to talk about, but I, I, I think there's maybe a racial component. You never know. But I do think also it is the the English aspect of things as well. And then one one other thing that I thought was notable in reading about him more, because I wouldn't say I watch Palace a ton, uh, but I think hearing that he is sort of the opposite of who he was on the field as a manager, that he's much more soft-spoken. He's less likely to really get into it with people in interviews. He's, I think, calmer with players. You don't see him losing his mind on the touchline. So I think to some extent he is more of an understated manager. And so when he doesn't have that kind of the the media attention that that Jampard, <laughs> Jampard is what I just called them, uh, that's their new that's their new relationship <laughs> name. Why not? Uh, I, I think he does sort of fly under the radar for that as well. Uh, and because it's Crystal Palace, who are a, a team in London that I think don't always get the headlines because there are just so many other teams in, in London that do. Uh, I think all of those maybe uh, come together. Too, but that maybe gives him cover to then have some time to develop himself as a manager in England. Because as you guys have already pointed out, he's developed himself plenty uh, in the United States and in France. And I, long may it continue. I really love the idea of him at Juve down the road. I think that could be pretty fascinating. Yeah, might not be that far down the road either, to be fair, Tate. <laughs> we shall see. True, true. Uh, Guy, thank you very much for that question. Let's move on to Shreya Shramani's question. Uh, a lovely hypothetical here. Uh, in a scenario where all coaches had themselves as a player at their peak, available for selection, which coaches would pick themselves as a player to start for their respective club or countries? For example, would Greg Berhalter, the coach, pick Greg Berhalter, the player, at his peak, to start for the U.S. Oh boy, this might say a little bit more about the uh, people themselves and their own um, valuations of their talents rather than their suitability, but we'll get into it, Taylor. (laughs) Yeah, sorry to interrupt you. That that was going to be my question, though. I'm asking you as the host and arbiter, because this is where I struggled with this question. Do they know that it is their younger self that they are putting into this team? Or is it like, do they have a disconnect? Is it just another player who is them when they were younger, but they don't know it themselves? Yes. <laughs> does, well, does, I, the ma- does the manager know that, they, that they're the older version of the player, but the player doesn't know? And every time that they talk to the player, it's like the music when uh, George Sr. <laughs> talks to, or the uncle in Arrested Development talks to... Uh, yes, yes. Taylor, let, that might have let's, to be it. Let's put it like this. Let's say that um, it's very objective and it's not like there's no mm-hmm. ego involved in this. Maybe even some, a third party is picking mm-hmm. Greg Berhalter in Greg, Greg Berhalter's There we team. go. So we're not involving any personal vengeance against oneself. Well, no, it's it's just more like I could see certain managers be like, no, I can't call myself. Like, weirdly, I think Diego Simeone would want to put himself into his team, but would also be sort of like, no, that will ruin chemistry. I will not do that. Uh, so that was where I got kind of hung up. But yes, I think Greg Berhalter absolutely puts himself in for the U.S., uh, not just because he values himself, but because center-back depth. We don't have a ton of it. Uh, but there are other ones I think Jurgen Klopp would not, because he did not play at a very high level. I think uh, Pep probably would, because yeah. he is oh. sort of, he does kind of fit into his team uh, yeah. and is the kind of like playing yeah. style that he looks for in that role. Uh, Patrick Vieira could probably do a job at Crystal Palace, the aforementioned. Daniela De Rossi has just taken over at Spal. I feel like he would be a good signing for their midfield. And I feel like Jurgen Klinsmann would absolutely start himself and do so loudly. <laughs> uh, Graham, what are your thoughts on this? I was thinking Carlo Ancelotti would fancy himself uh, in the midfield at Real Madrid. Yeah, I mean, why would you not want that suave influence uh, in, in your team? I, I went for Pep as well. I, I also thought Xavi, that the manager, would would love Xavi, the 
the player. Um, oh, yeah, of course. And, and <laughs> yeah, Fr- Frank Lampard would love to have himself as a player, though, not just because he he yeah. seems a bit smug like that, but because there, you know, there there would be a role for him in that Everton midfield three. I know this wasn't the the, the question, but I actually found it more interesting to think of the coaches who wouldn't like themselves as players. So Steven Gerrard was one that instantly came to mind because he uses this system with dual number tens and then two defensive minded midfielders at the base and Gerrard obviously as a, as a box-to-box midfielder wouldn't really have fit into any of those roles so that would have been interesting to see how Gerrard would 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 have fit into his own team I like how I'm talking about this as if this is a, a feasible scenario that we actually could see at some point and not just some sort of a hypothetical uh, nonsense question which we're all enjoying well, Graham to be fair the next series of Westworld is based around this premise so um Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, I stopped watching Westworld after season two, so that could be entirely accurate, and and I would believe that. Yes, it's an incredibly confusing television show. Um, I'm I'm really into this question. Sorry. Uh, I I, I want to hear Joe's answer. I think it's fascinating because it reveals how little we know about managers and how easily we forget their playing careers and what they were as players. Xavi, a perfect example of that. Because I think there are some that, yeah, Graham, to your point, would not want to play themselves either because they didn't play at a very high level or there were like personality issues that they've since Mm. overcome like even again focusing on Vieira for a moment it seems like he is not prioritizing that intensity that passion that you know screaming at everybody uh getting getting into it with Roy Keane whereas Roy Keane seems to absolutely still want that uh in players so I think it does sort of show the evolution of people from players to managers or how they continue to value certain skill sets as they become managers but either way I think it's really interesting, if not uh, sort of confusing. Good stuff. Joe, a um, couple of uh, scenarios for you to consider. Jesse Marsh, would he pick himself? And I would think that Gareth Southgate would pick himself. I know this is a before Lowry days kind of uh, statement here, but I think if I had the choice between Harry Maguire and Gareth Southgate, <laughs> I would pick Gareth Southgate. <laughs> yeah, but penalties. Just don't let him touch the, pel- to touch the ball yeah, in the box. I think penalties. that's the solution. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, Ryan, I, I won't argue with you on the Harry Maguire thing. I think you and the rest of the nation of England would probably make that choice, assuming Graham's penalty clause is enacted. Um, <laughs> Jesse Marsh, I don't think he's sniffing the Leeds team. I don't think he is good enough to do that. I think he has the Leeds energy right now for the club that, that he's trying to, to shape, but I don't think he's starting over Tyler Adams, and I, I think he would probably tell you that too. Vincent yep. Company is starting for Burnley. No questions asked. That's an easy one. Xavi Alonso is starting for Leverkusen. Uh, let's, let's touch on some internationals before I do MLS. Thierry Henry, I know he's an assistant coach with Belgium, but come on. If, if Roberto Martinez gives the okay, he's starting for Belgium. Uh, and then Hugo Perez is starting for El Salvador. I'm sure there's a bunch of other uh, national team ones, but then a few for MLS. Wayne Rooney is starting for DC United. We've kind of seen that already, but peak Wayne Rooney would be a game changer in MLS in, in even a way that old Wayne Rooney wasn't, and, and he was already pretty darn good. Steve Chirondolo is starting for LAFC at fullback, and Robin Frazier is probably starting for the Rapids at center back. There's a longer list in here somewhere, but those are the ones that I had so far. Does Didier Deschamps start for France if their midfield is Kante and Pogba, as it was at the last World Cup final? Is he better than either, either of those two players? He's won as many World Cups, hasn't he? One. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One, <laughs> one each. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, that was a genuine question. I don't know. I, I, I just thought maybe I wondered if anyone had any strong opinions on Didier Deschamps, but other than Deschamps out, it seems like not many people have those opinions. <laughs> I don't know. I, I honestly don't remember Deschamps as a player enough to speak one way or the other. That jogs my mind that Zidane would probably pick himself. That seems like a player 
Zidane feels he's like not, one he's not coaching Zidane anywhere made. right now, is he? Or is he? No, coaching but I'm thinking somewhere? of him at Real Madrid. I feel like ah. he would have happily put Zidane at Real Madrid back into Zidane management. Yes, Madrid. he's Again, sure. This I'm becomes sure. Inception at some point. He's coaching his family on the basis of his of his Instagram. <laughs> I, I remember someone tweeted that um, Zidane's Instagram, which is just like him and his family doing activities. Is like the, if you're in a camping ground and there's that annoying, active, like skinny, athletic family that pitch up next to you, and they're like having barbecues and playing pick, uh, paddle ball and like doing all these activities, and that's the Zidans basically, is is what they are. I don't follow him on Instagram, Greg, but I hope his handle is Zidanstagram. <laughs> it should be. Yeah, it really should be. Zidanstagram. Uh, one other uh, manager, I'm not sure if we, has anyone mentioned Antonio Conte? Because at 53 year, years old, I think he would legit pick himself like next week like, <laughs> at, at his current state. I feel like he would. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Indeed. All right, let's take a very quick break. When we come back, a few more listener questions back shortly. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our listener questions. Daniel Martini has got in touch. What do you think of MLS uh, St. Louis's roster construction so far? St. Louis City, I guess we're calling them. St. Louis City SC, to be more accurate. Uh, what do we think of them and their approach and results? What gaps do they need to fill most? And how would you compare them on a scale of Charlotte and Cincinnati to LAFC and Atlanta? Joe, uh, I believe they have eight players on board. They've got Roman Berkey in gold. They've got a couple of DPs from um, uh, the lower leagues in Germany, I believe. So Lutz van Steel, who is, um, I've worked with him for a few years, or ha- I did previously, and he's a lot of fun. He's a very nice guy. He's the also best. mad as a box of frogs. Um, so I'm glad that he's in MLS as sporting director in St. Louis. Some quotes from him, Joe. Yeah, bring it. <laughs> yep. We're not really on the hunt anymore for DPs, he said. In my world, there are no designated players. Uh there are. We believe in DT, designated team. 11 players must make a difference, not one or two. Oh my God, that's such a Lutz quote. That's there's such a, a Lutz no, quote. There's an, even, there's an even better one, Taylor. I love Taylor. so much. Get to the better even, one, Ryan. Yeah. Keep going. We don't need a PR we player. We will have our stadium full regardless. If we play against a Disney 11 with Goofy in goal <laughs> and Pluto as a number nine, we'd still be sold out. So no Mickey Mouse team in St. Louis. Yeah, of course you would. I, well, I would, personally would. Pay, I would personally pay more money to watch my yeah. team play Goofy and Pluto. Yeah, that's Space Jam 3, Lutz. Get it together. Yeah, Pluto is not a natural number nine. That's a conversation for another no, time. Joe, yeah. what do you think about St. Louis so far and what they've done? I see Pluto as like a box-to-box number eight, personally. Um, yeah. uh, that's just how I see it, but anyway, I feel free to disagree. Yeah, all these quotes are coming from Tom Bogert's piece that he wrote for MLSsoccer.com, interviewing Lutz, Fan, and Steel, and it, it's incredible. Go read it, because 
Yeah, Lutz it does seem a little crazy. So I think, I think St. Louis are going to be wild this year. They seem much more Charlotte to me than LAFC or Atlanta, like, like by a long shot. They're much closer to the Charlotte-Minnesota-Cincinnati kind of lane. I'm not saying they're going to be those teams, but they're certainly not LAFC or Atlanta united with the players they've signed in sort of the lower profile that they seem to be keeping. So let's start with the manager, Coach Bradley Carnell, who spent time uh, with the Red Bulls. He, we would assume, is going to bring this aggressive, high-pressing style to St. Louis, or at least they're not going to try to pick you apart with the ball. We've never seen that out of Bradley Carnell before, and judging from the players that have been signed so far, there's not really a whole lot about, a whole lot about St. Louis's style that we can pick apart from them. So I'm kind of judging off of Carnell and what I think he's going to try to do with the players they've signed. Ryan, you mentioned they have a number of players that are already in the squad, but as far as holes that need to be filled... Everywhere, right? They need to sign players in every position because they only have eight players in the squad. So Roman Berkey, you mentioned, 31-year-old goalkeeper. I'm not really sure is very good goalkeeper, to be honest. You go back through and look at his shot-stopping numbers with Dortmund, and, and was he ever really very good? I don't, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. But he certainly has name recognition more so than anyone else in this squad. Uh, they have a 28-year-old center back who has a, a handful of caps with Sweden. They have a young winger. They have a young midfielder. They have another left back and a, a DP striker, um, or I guess not a DP, but he is a DP. Don't let Lutz yeah. Financial tell you different. He is a designated <laughs> player, uh, has played in Austria and Belgium, and 51 minutes for Hoffenheim in the Bundesliga. That's Joao Klaus. So... I don't know exactly what to make of that signing at the moment. It doesn't seem like a super ambitious DP deal. And then Eduard Loven, who's another designated player or not, central midfielder, 25 years old. He has probably the best resume in this squad so far outside of Berkey. About 4,000 Bundesliga minutes and, and does, does look solid based off of some of the numbers I've seen. So again, I don't know if these players are going to hit or not, but these to me feel like much more Charlotte FC kind of signings than they do Atlanta. We're trying to break the mold for expansion teams or LAFC. Hey, we're trying to really be thoughtful on how we're trying to build this squad and even break the mold that Atlanta United broke. I'm not expecting other than maybe fielding an 11 of Disney characters or playing against one. It doesn't seem like St. Louis are going to be breaking a lot of molds in major league soccer. I really hope, I, I think you're correct, Joe. I really hope that you're wrong. Me because, too, me too. Uh, Lutz Fennenstiel, the thing I was going to say when I started to interrupt Joe, apologies for that, is I don't know if you all know, we've had him on the show. Yeah. Uh, he is a fascinating person. For people who haven't heard that interview, one of his claims to fame is that I believe he's the first person to play uh, football for a club on every single continent in the world. Uh, he has played everywhere uh, and been arrested in a few of those places as well. And my hope would be that St. Louis are hiring him to bring that sort of personality. And you look at the manager, they're, they're hiring a South African who's what has the like the Red Bull connection, but that's about it as far as I can tell. So it feels like that's a sort of global appointment. Some of the, the players they've been bringing in already are players that you can tell he has seen, has connections to, has familiarity with. And that's where I would agree with Joe. It feels like a, a Charlotte roster build so yeah. far. I would add, uh, because I was looking up, like Roman Berkey, they signed a while ago. Is he just sitting around? And to find out, he is playing for their MLS Next Pro team. Yep. He made four appearances this season. So they do have this team in MLS Pro uh, or Next Pro, uh, that they, they, they've got a, a full squad there. They've got some players that will maybe transition to their MLS team, like Akil Watts. He got a bunch of assists for them. Uh, they ended up losing the final uh, of that competition to Columbus Crew too. Uh, so who knows if that is the preparation they need for an MLS season? I suspect it's not. But they do have, I think, some youngsters they could bring through. They've got this 
sort of I wouldn't call them a core group. I would call them a weird group right now. But again, it's a, it's a group that I think uh, the Financial Deal has probably seen play, has connections to, knows what they're going to bring. And my hope is that he continues to look all over the place for talent and brings in different people. And we don't just get a sort of German centric model with like some of the people he has connections to, some of the people his agent recommends or whatever it might be. I I hope. It is a very global model where they're uh, identifying talent all over the place and and uh, making it all come together and work well. Uh, that is my hope. Who knows if that will be the case? Yeah. But I am mildly obsessed with Klaus, the Brazilian-born uh, striker who's played most of his career in Germany, uh, mostly because I think we need a, a Klaus in this We world. do. Klaus? Yeah. <laughs> we 100% need a Klaus in Major League Soccer. That's the biggest win for St. Louis so far. Taylor, just all the things you're saying there. I'm excited for this ride. I do think it's going to be a ride, and I, I have been burned, I suppose, by predicting expansion teams to finish last and then them blowing the doors off by finishing, what, oh, this third like from last, last third from sure. last in the Eastern Conference? Yeah. But I will say, man, it, it, this feels to me, and I don't know how this works, right? I have no inside information into this. It feels like these are just players that have been offered to Lutz, Fun and Steel, or, or it feels like players that he's already sort of known and hasn't yeah. taken a lot. And again, I don't know if this is true or not, but... I, I just am skeptical of the build so far, and there's a lot of time to change that, right? They have maybe a third of their roster announced right now, maybe less than that. So there's lots of time between now and when the season kicks off in February or March next year for this to change. But I, I'm just getting real Cincinnati and Charlotte vibes, and there's a big difference between Cincinnati and Charlotte in, in terms of first-year results yeah. and, and prognosis ahead of future seasons. But, yeah, I am, I'm skeptical at the moment. Hope to be proven wrong. Oh, so Joe, you did. You're not, you're not going to say the are going to finish bottom then, Joe. Is that what you're saying? I'm not. I, Taylor and Graham and I decided yesterday that I'm done making predictions. So um, we can revisit this again when I'm dead, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> more bit. Great. Wow. Well, I was going to say um, next year. I'm like, well, that no. That's, we said no more. So um, Speaking of that, by the way, uh, one of the crazy Lutsch van stories, uh, something he denies, is uh, stealing a penguin from a zoo. Uh, and it was found decapitated days later. Yeah. Whoa. That, yeah. that was that was not how I thought that story was going to go. He, once again, he denies that. Fire truck, stand stand down, please. <laughs> oh, I thought it, I thought it was that he like took it home and put it in his bathtub and then returned it later on. But he argued that, like the penguin followed him from the exhibit. Yeah. I thought I didn't know about the decapitated part. That takes a turn there. Yeah, that's uh, that's on the Google if you want to find it. Uh, I believe he, he denies the decapitating part of so, the story. Yes. So we're not ending on that note. What I would say <laughs> is this is where I get sort of frustrated with, with, with MLS sometimes because you don't know how it works. You don't know what it was that made teams make certain decisions because – like I, I could see a reality in which uh, I, I, we, I first interacted with him when we got to go to Germany. We met him when he was the sporting director at Dusseldorf. He was far and away the least pretentious person we spoke to that whole time. Not to say that everybody was, just that he came in in like a tracksuit, sat in the middle of the room uh, in a chair that did not swivel. It took him like maybe the first 10 minutes to realize it didn't swivel. So then he would just, if, if somebody asked him a question and they were seated behind him, he would pick the chair up. Uh, turn the chair around, put the chair down, and then sit down and face them. And when the next question came, he would always – he just had that sort of manic energy that you got the impression that he was always working, always thinking, always hustling, and always trying to identify talent to keep Dusseldorf up, to keep them competitive, because that was a team that didn't have a ton of money. So if you are the St. Louis owners and you're looking for this sort of high-energy – uh, world traveler who's got a ton of experience but is also very good at uh, identifying talent uh, on a budget, then that's great. 
There's also reality, I think, in which somebody heard him do commentary for the Bundesliga and thought, this guy's really funny. What's his deal? And then they looked it up and saw he was a sporting director and thought, yeah, sure, why not that? And so I never quite know which of those is more likely to be the case, but it does inform what they will be doing at that club uh, to some extent. So it could be wonderful. It could be a disaster. But either way, I think it will be entertaining, even if Pluto isn't playing as a number eight. Their stadium looks great. I'm just looking at pictures of it of it now. I don't think it's going to be open for the start of the season, but it's like it's it's downtown and it's got this kind of Etihad campus style like training fields next to it. Very impressive. Looks I good. Know, I'd like to visit. I know this sounds this sounds ignorant and it is. Why why can teams not finish stadiums before they start? Like is that a stupid question? Does anybody know the answer to that? Because that happens have, with I, every I new expansion yet. team. Ryan, go ahead, please. Uh, my my dad worked in construction for most of his uh, life and um, he in fact worked on Arsenal Stadium and Charlton Stadium and building works never ever go on time because the builders get paid more when they overrun. That's mm. essentially it. Interesting. Okay, so this yeah. is not as simple as saying we need to be finished six months before the season and uh, adjusting for that and just accounting for the fact that you'll finish a week before the season? Mm. Yeah. yeah, there's there's still builders outside my house even though I moved in two years ago. So once they're done, I'll send them over to St. Louis to get the stadium <laughs> done by uh, by March next year. Perfect. Solved it. Joe, one one final thing for me from my limited background uh, in construction is that you, if you're subbing stuff out, if you have like the general contractor who's in charge of the whole build, but then they're hiring subcontractors for different things, those subcontractors aren't always communicating and aren't always worried about what the other one is doing or trying to do. And you will get situations in which like there's a concrete pad that's supposed to be poured, but it's supposed to be poured once the plumbing has been run. But if you're not the plumbing subcontractor, you're the concrete subcontractor and you've been told pour the concrete, you do that. And then you have to dig it all up to then relay that plumbing. You get those delays and you get building and inspections on top not always the sort of streamlined process especially when you're doing it on a budget i think you can run into those sort of uh overages and extensions of the calendar either way i'm excited for what will come uh hopefully when they get the stadium done yeah and taylor for more info on concrete pouring see the tom hardy movie lock where he plays a welshman in the car for the entire movie who has got a concrete poured at a building hardest of passes yeah, it's, it's it's an odd movie, but uh, I recommend it all the same. I love Tom Hardy, but is he is he is he wearing a mask in that one too? Is he abstracting his face in some way or doing a strange? No, he's doing a, he's doing a Welsh accent for no reason at all, um, which is quite amusing. And the entire movie that was Graham. Just for folks out there, that was Graham. I know everybody. That was my Tom Hardy impression. Wow, Ryan. I know you're trying to get this back on the rails. I'm not going to let you. Have you all seen the video of him winning his martial arts competition? Because yes. like, I'm sure that he is very good at martial arts, but. If you walk into a ring or step into the ring and and that is the person you're going against, the man who is just like the physical embodiment of intensity and will maybe murder you for the craft, yeah. uh, I would not want to fight that dude. I feel like he's already won before that fight has begun. Yeah. And I think he's won a couple competitions, maybe as a result. Yeah, yeah. you're up against Bane. Good luck. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, Bane, who has been sleeping on the streets for three weeks as well yeah. and looks absolutely terrifying. Bane yeah. and the craze and Alfie Solomon all rolled together. Have fun. Have fun. Oh, I like the Alfie Solomon accent the better. Like, accent was like, oh, yeah, anyway. We'll, we'll do a Tom Hardy um, episode later. Anyway, thank you, Daniel, for the question. One final question for this episode from Patrick F. Each of the podcast hosts has randomly received a few billion dollars, enough to buy a lower league team. What teams would Joe and Taylor attempt to buy? And would Graham and Ryan try to buy Sterling Albion, Albion and Wimbledon, respectively, or leave them as fan-owned clubs uh, i'll start off taylor by saying a few billion i'd probably yeah. buy a premier league team <laughs> yeah a few billion yeah. you could buy all the lower league teams 
for yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just taking this to mean that like we're not, you know, we're not having to overextend ourselves. We're not having to do a ton of marketing. We can just put the money in and let them go. With that in mind, I did contemplate my answer being Wimbledon and then writing them into the ground. But I didn't think Ryan would, <laughs> would find that as funny. Uh, I don't think I'm going to buy in the United States because I thought about this sincerely. And I think it would be tough to get anything but negative publicity. Because if I bought the Richmond Kickers, who were third division, with my billions of dollars, no matter how much money I put into them, they're still going to be in the third division. Maybe they go up to USL uh, Championship. But even there, I think it's it's going to be tough to like get the attention to turn the heads that you want to kind of keep that team moving and growing. I don't know what the rules are for uh, non-Bundesliga clubs, like, like uh, if you're in the second or third Bundesliga if you still have to go with 50 plus one, but if you're trying to make it to the Bundesliga, I imagine there will be complications on the, along the way. So as much to make my wife happy as to annoy Ryan Bailey, I am going with ACR Siena 1904, currently playing in Group B of Serie C, Serie mm-hmm. C, uh, because my wife would actually like to live in uh, Italy again. She's lived there previously. She's working on getting citizenship, so that, uh, you know, happy wife, happy life. Uh, their colors are black and white. I like wearing all black, so there you go. Uh, and they haven't won much in their history, so there's no complaints when I do what I want. So I'm going to, you know, kind of like develop the academy system. We're going to get young players coming through. We're going to play attractive soccer. And I think there wouldn't be much pushback because they're a little bit chaos. Here's their their opening Wikipedia entry. Uh, Associazione uh, Calcio Robur Siena 1904, commonly referred to as Siena, is an Italian football club based in Siena, Tuscany. The club was reincorporated in 2020 after the bankruptcy of the previous legal entity, Robur Siena, which itself was a reincarnation of the original club, Associazione. Associazione, something like that, Calcio Siena SPA, uh, who were founded in 1904. So they've already gone through a bunch of different incarnations. I can come in with my billions and stabilize them, make them good, and live in Tuscany. Uh, I feel like that all works out well. And Siena is very beautiful. I was there last last month, actually. It's where they have that crazy horse race, the Palio, and there's a movie about it on Apple TV. And it looks absolutely brutal, because I've been was in that square, and I can't believe they run horses around it. But uh, that's uh, yeah, a good choice, Tay-Tay. And they Joe. all like come from their different uh, districts or whatever yeah. like that. It's the cities divided up. I feel like I would incorporate that into my team somehow. I'm not sure so, how, but I would. So, yeah, when we were there, they were doing like the presentation ceremony for the horse race, Taylor. And as you say, the, the, each of the, like, the flags from each of the different areas of the city were like on display. It looked like something from Game of Thrones. It was absolutely wild. And they all came in and did these processions with their flags. It looked very, very cool in Indeed. Uh, Joseph, what do, you, what do you think about this question? So, first of all, Ryan, as a favor to you, I'll be buying MK Dons and running that into the ground. Contrary to go. Taylor's initial idea of taking Wimbledon running into the ground, I'm going to do you a favor. Um, Thank you. So you're welcome for that. And then I will be buying Phoenix Rising, but as a test of my giant floating stadium idea that we had discussed before when someone else was giving us a billion dollars. So this is going to be ideally the first in a series of giant floating stadiums that are built across the world. But I think it would make sense for me to test it close to home on a smaller club where, you know, if things go horribly wrong, there's not going to be quite as much backlash as if I'm doing it for Arsenal, as an example. So... For me, this is the start of my my new soccer floating stadium business empire. I want to start it in Phoenix. I think it makes sense. It's a good test market for us yeah. and for our for our branding. Um, the real answer is I'm not buying any sports team. If I have $3 billion, I'm doing something else with that money. But still, uh, I think the floating stadium thing has some merit, and we're going to give it a shot. Yeah, yeah I mean, local, local testing, that is where to bring in the logic on yeah, this idea, Joe. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I, I tried. Joe... Uh, 
see our Slack right now for my thoughts on your on your floating stadium uh, because I'm a big fan of the the subreddit that looked expensive <laughs> uh, and the one I just sent Joe is 1.5 million dollar home uh, floating home prototype sinks into the water as it's unveiled. I mean that's on them for only spending 1.5 million and not 1.5 billion. Yeah. I mean that's like Surely- a joke, Taylor. A floating home is a yacht, isn't it? I'm, I'm not convinced they've done I think it they right mean there. floating on air, not floating on water. But yeah. it did end up sort of floating kind of on the water because it landed in water. Briefly. Yeah, Very briefly. briefly. This, is, this is like when Elon Musk, did he not say recently about Tesla that it would it would partially float? Uh, you're like, yeah, well, all cars yeah. partially float until they sink. <laughs> uh, he wants the Cybertruck to be able to go in rivers and stuff, yeah. Which is fun. Uh, Joe, I'd say with your few billion, you could start the FSL, the Floating Stadium League. Um, yeah. That's something you should uh, start doing and seek investment immediately. This, uh, this sounds like another one of Donald Trump's failed sporting empires, so we're going we're gonna to pass on that probably. Fair enough. <laughs> Graham, where do you land on this one? Sterling Albion, are you going to buy them and bring them to fame? <laughs> well, you know, first British team to play in Japan in 1966. So, you know, they've already had that, that taste of fame. Um, I, I think I'd leave Albion as a fan-owned club because, you know, effort and that sort of stuff. But also, <laughs> um, you know, just because I quite like the fans owning the team, I would give them a bunch of money to buy players. Actually, when I was thinking about this, it wouldn't be players I'd be most excited about buying. This, this maybe is a boring uh, thing to say, but... It would be stuff like giving them money to buy, to build, sorry, uh, like a social club. We don't have a social club. We do have hospitality suites. And I'm always envious when I go to other clubs in Scotland and they have that social club environment where people spend hours at the stadium before and after the game. And it just gives the club uh, like a real community feel while also feeding money back into the club through bar receipts, lots of shots of jum and stuff like that. So I, I would build a social club for Sterling Albion. I'd also build some or buy some fun stuff like a statue of Robert Snodgrass who got us promoted a long time ago with a, a brilliant free kick in the playoff final. And I'd also build an on-site pie bakery. You know how Spurs have a, a microbrewery at their yeah. stadium? Yeah, I'd, I'd have a pie bakery. That's a very good idea. I like that a lot. Um, I, I, I agree with uh, your assessment of not breaking the fan-owned model. I wouldn't do that for Wimbledon either. Graham, we actually have a covenant that we can't be sold and it would have to be voted upon and stuff. So I think my solution and a way to break the constraints of the Fano model, which can't, in theory, ever get that big, is that I would just donate loads and loads of money. I think I'd give like yeah. 50 million a year for like a decade and see how that went. And I think that would make a big, big difference. And I wouldn't make them wear um, the branding of my gin company mm. on, on their shirts. Yeah, buy, buy uh, Ollie Palmer back yeah. for 50 million. <laughs> I, think, I think we'd be able to afford him at that rate, yeah. And also, uh, I would also buy MK Dons. I would pay out every player's contract. Uh, I would close the club down and I would buy enough uh, gasoline to circle the stadium, burn it to the ground. Turn it into your ping pong room. <laughs> Ooh. Now then I'd have to actually go to Milton Keynes. I don't want to have to go there for recreation or anything else. But, uh, <laughs> Fair enough. That's what I do. Wonderful stuff. What a what a lovely way to end a podcast. I'd burn a building down. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Dead penguins, Ryan burning stuff down. Yeah. Good gracious. What happened today? It got dark. Vegas. Yeah, I'm, I'm still in Las Vegas, listener. So I've, yeah, it, it's gotten dark, and I think I saw um, Karate Tom Hardy outside um, <laughs> hustling for change earlier. That's another story. Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much for joining us on Listen to Questions. Thank you, my friend. Sorry for my copious interruptions. It was a very interrupty day for me. You handled it well, Ryan. Ah, oh, a pleasure, Tay Tay. Graham Rutherford, a pleasure to have you here, sir. Thank you, Ryan Bailey, and Joe Lowry. Thank you very much, indeedy. Right back at you listener we'll be back on the feed very shortly but for now bye